Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Glory to God. Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Last week we were talking about some uh, different kinds of gifts. And the way this came up is on Sunday a few weeks ago, I was talking about uh, how uh, in the church that we are not just uh, believers, we are brethren. And we're not, we don't just gather together, we are called together by the Lord to assemble and that we're a body of believers. We're not just a congregation. Uh, you know, a congregation is, is a group of people who gather. But, you know, you can, you can congregate at a bus stop. But that's not the church, amen? The church is a, is a gathering uh, that God has called. He, has, he calls us together and then he uh, builds us together as a congregation, fits us together. And uh, just like we are one with the Lord, in a, in a different measure, we're one with, with one another. We're members of a local body. In fact, the oneness of our relationship with Christ and with one another is the, is the fundamental precept uh, for the, the idea of the body of Christ. We are a body of believers. Every local church is a, is a local body and uh, pointed out that God recognizes local churches. And, uh, you know, when I was, before I saw this, you might think that's elementary, but uh, before I saw it, I'd been pastoring several years and I, I knew that God was aware of my church because he's aware of everything. And so he knows everything that's going on, you know, so I knew in that sense he was aware and I knew that he was aware of, of, of what we were doing but what I didn't see so clearly was the fact that every local church is a distinct body that he recognizes. And, and, and when I saw that in the scriptures that, that the different writers of, of, the, of the epistles would talk about the church at a certain place or the church in someone's house and, and the churches of, of Asia, for instance, it says the churches of Asia greet you. That meant that the individual churches, God recognized each individual church. He knew them by name. He knew who the pastors were. He knew what they were, what they were called together to do. Each church has a sort of status. And uh, if, you, if you read about it in uh, the book of Revelation, it talks about in the second and third chapter of Revelation, how Jesus gave instructions to John and told him to write letters to the messengers of the churches. Now, that word messenger in Revelation uh, 2 and 3 is the Greek word angelos. It's the word we get that is commonly translated angel. So that's the way the, the regular King James translates it that way. It says, write these letters, you know, write to the angel of the church of Ephesus, the angel of the church of Sardis, and so forth. And a lot of people thought, you know, well, that must be talking about angels. But uh, in other places, there, it's, it's primarily, that word is primarily used of angels, and, and the transliteration of that into the English angel is obvious. Uh, but there are other places in the New Testament where that word angelos is actually used in reference to men, actual human beings. They're not angels, they're just ordinary people. And it's used in this because the word uh, technically means a messenger. Well, angels are messengers. And, uh, and so some people you know, believe that every church then has an angel, in other words, an angelic being. But this, uh, in, in Revelation, he couldn't be talking about the angel, an actual angelic being over the church of Ephesus or an actual angel over the church of Thyatira because he told John to write a letter to these angels. Well, that, you know, when he told John to write a letter, that was a, you know, a physical letter. In other words, ink and uh, uh, papyrus. Well, he, he gonna, how are you going to send a letter to an angel? What's the angel's P.O. box? You know, you know what I'm saying? That you, and besides that, everywhere else in the Bible, angels are messengers from God to men. Oh, 
why would God tell John to send a message to the angel? Angels get messages from God to men, not the other way around. And, uh, and besides that, he held the angel or the messenger of that church responsible for what was going on in that church. So the messenger there in Revelation 2 and 3 is, is most assuredly, though the word's not used, it has to be referring to the pastor, the overseer of those churches. And, uh, and so when I saw that, I saw that uh, Jesus was very much aware of individual churches. But then, but then the Lord said something real interesting. He told the church at Ephesus, he said, you've got some good things going and you've got some bad things going. But if you don't repent, he said, I will take your candlestick away. I'll remove your candlestick. Because remember in the, in the first chapter, it showed Jesus walking around in the midst of the candlesticks. He said the mystery of the candlesticks, the candlesticks were the seven churches. In other words, they represented the seven churches. And, and then he said, if you don't repent, the church of Ephesus, I will remove your candlestick. So a church can have its candlestick removed. Well, what, would, what is that? To me, the, the, the sense of a candlestick to me represents the divine call and the status of that church. In other words, it represents that church in heaven. And if a church would lose its candlestick, I think everybody would agree that wouldn't be a good thing. Uh, a church would no longer have, have the presence of God, the power of God. Uh, it would be God taking his, his uh, ordination or his, his, the status of that church would be removed. Now, the people could still meet together, but they'd be meeting on their own. Amen? So, so you know, that to me was a, a, a big eye-opening uh, revelation that God actually recognized my church, this church, and that we have a status before him. We're known in heaven, this church, distinct, distinctly from the church down the street. They're known in heaven as well. But, but this church, God knows us, and, and, and he knows uh, the plan and the purpose he's given us. And, uh, and so when I was talking about that, I was talking about, uh, I got off to, to uh, some way into talking about how God uh, gifts everybody and, and some people are always talking about uh, developing people's gifts, but as a pastor, I'm more interested in developing character than I am developing gifts because the Bible makes it clear that everybody has gifts. Everyone, every Christian is endowed with certain gifts and abilities, but something that no one is endowed with the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, now, uh, uh, internally, yes, the, 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 the uh, uh, potential is there in all of us, but whether or not we develop the fruit of the Spirit is up to us. Amen? And so one of the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, and I just use that as an illustration. Everyone is endowed with gifts, but everyone's not in, uh, people are not endowed with faithfulness. You have to develop faithfulness. And as a pastor, I'm way more interested in someone's faithfulness than I am their gifts. Now, that doesn't mean that, that gifts aren't important. And so we started talking about, and that's how we started talking about uh, different gifts. And, and it's real popular, it has been for a number of years, for people in the church, writers and, and uh, church people, books and literature are written about uh, individual giftings. There's, there's this idea, very prevalent uh, in the church world, that we all have gifts and we need to discover our gifts. But what I've found, because I've read a lot of these books, and what I've found is usually the, uh, the teaching that, that goes along with that, they start identifying things as gifts that the Bible doesn't identify as gifts. And for instance, compassion. Uh, you know, I've read some, you know, somewhere where people say, well, some people have the gift of compassion. Well, in a general sense, if you are compassionate to someone, that is really a gift to them. Isn't that right? I mean, that's, that's, that's a, a wonderful gift to, to show or to give someone. And, but compassion isn't a spiritual gift. It's not identified in the Bible. It is not a spiritual empowerment that God endows someone with. Because the love, the compassion of God has been shed abroad in all of our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Some people just develop it better than others. Some people yield to it better than others. But no one has a gift of compassion or the gift of, of uh, 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 
patience or anything. Those are, those are things that I call those spiritual graces. And all of us should be developing all of these spiritual graces. And, uh, and so, again, people talk about, you know, finding your gift, developing your gift. And, and most of the time, the things they identify as gifts, the New Testament doesn't identify as gifts. So what does the New Testament identify as gifts? And we pointed out that there's three lists of gifts, three categories, three different kinds of, of gifts. First of all, there's spiritual gifts. Then there's ministry gifts. And then there's what I call, and I'm... I'm I'm the only person that's ever called them this, as far as I know. This is just the term I came up with, uh, and I think there's scriptural basis for it. But uh, other people have other words than this, but I call them functional gifts. So you have spiritual gifts, ministry gifts, and functional gifts. So we were looking at, at the uh, gifts of the Spirit, the spiritual gifts. And uh, we pointed out that very often when people talk about the gifts of the Spirit, uh, you know, if they either call things that aren't spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, like some of the, we even let, read some really extreme things, the gift of laughter and the gift of, you know, having a job and all kinds of things that people have. I mean, those were pretty extreme. But uh, so if people don't go over uh, on one side and just make up things they call spiritual gifts, then very often they go on the other side and then the true gifts of the Spirit, they name them. Because there are nine what we call gifts of the Spirit, and they, and, they, and they call them by name, but then they assign meanings to them that are not in the Scripture. And so we talked about, for instance, the gifts of healings. There's a spiritual gifts. Another designation for the gifts of the Spirit are the manifestations of the Spirit. Uh, in, one, in one sense, they're called gifts. In one verse, in, in uh, uh, the 12th, did I tell you to go to the 12th chapter of, of 1 Corinthians? You'll notice... In, uh, in verse number four, there are diversities of gifts. Well, those are, those are talking about spiritual gifts. But then in verse seven, he said, the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And then he lists these nine gifts, or I like to, I prefer the designation manifestations of the spirit. Because when you use the word gifts, uh, it, it's easy to imagine that, well, I have a certain gift. And so I have it. God, God gave me this gift. It's, it's a spiritual endowment that has been given to me. And I have it. And I can operate it when I want to. But that's not the way spiritual gifts work. Uh, they, are, they, they operate as the Spirit wills. It says that he distributes to each one individually. I think that's in verse uh, 11. Distributes to each one individually as he wills. These are manifestations of the Spirit. So uh, you have to depend on the manifestation of the Spirit. So anyway, uh, these gifts, some, some people take these nine gifts or manifestations of the Spirit and they use the right names, but then they assign meanings that are not uh, according to the Scripture. And one thing that's very popular to do is to take all of these gifts and strip the supernatural element out of it and make it a natural thing. For instance... Gifts of healings. You, you would think it, attending this church, you would think it would be crazy to think this way. But if you've come out of traditional churches, if you did any study in church literature, you'll find that a big portion of the church world teaches that gifts of healings are the medical sciences. Doctors, nurses, uh, medical technology, medical, you know, medical science, that that, that represents... When the Bible talks about gifts of healings, that's gifts of healings today. But uh, the, we, we all, uh, we have a lot of nurses and a lot of medical people in this church. We all uh, understand the importance of medicine, but medicine operates on the natural level. You don't have to be saved. You don't have to know God. Uh, you know, science, thank God, thank God that he has uh, helped humanity develop these things. I'm sure God is in it in, in helping us uh, uh, discover medical breakthroughs and medical technologies, but he's also, he also helps us in, in other kinds of technologies. I'm sure God has helped us in information technologies and all the other engineering and all the other things that man have, has been able to accomplish, but all of that operates on the natural level. Gifts of healings 
are supernatural manifestations of the Spirit where sickness and disease is healed solely by the power of God. God moves and someone is healed by, by supernatural Holy Spirit power in response to faith. Uh, when, when, when gifts of healings are in operation, it's a supernatural manifestation of God's power. There's not any part of it that's natural. Now, you can mix the two. You can have gifts of healings working along with medicine. We're not opposed to medicine. And so very often people will be in the hospital, they'll be under some kind of treatment or taking some kind of drugs, and, and then they pray, and God heals them uh, apart from that medicine or that, or that uh, uh, therapy they're getting. That still uh, can be gifts of healings and operations. So all of the manifestations of the Spirit are supernatural manifestations of the Spirit. They're manifestations of the Spirit. They're not manifestations of man's intellect or his, his ability or anything like that. Then, then uh, there are people that believe that uh, the gift of tongues is uh, today, the, the, how the gift of tongues uh, operates in the church is by people going to school, Christians, and learning a lot of languages, and they're able to go out to, into the world, you know, the mission field, and know all these different languages, and that's the gift of tongues. I've, I've even heard it that, that the Apostle Paul, that, you know, he, he was gifted in linguistics, and so he could speak different languages, and that's why he said that I speak with tongues more than you all. That simply meant that he knew more natural languages than the others did, and he could preach in these different languages. But, you know, you, you have to just shake your head sometimes. People, people will believe anything when they have an agenda, and the agenda is run as far as you can from anything supernatural. The church world at, at large is, is deathly afraid of anything supernatural. I was talking to uh, uh, Martha Williams today, and she's in the hospital, and I was up there visiting her, and she talked about uh, one of her uh, son-in-laws that, you know, he doesn't want to go to a church. His wife is Pentecostal, but he doesn't want to go anywhere where people run or make noise or do anything in church. It just scares the day. But you know what? He's not afraid of going to a ball game where people run and make noise and do things. You know, you can, you can be watching, you can have a bunch of people over on Saturday night watching a Gator game, and that's perfectly fine to jump up and shout and run, you know, and dance around the room and, and, and high-five one another and all that kind of stuff. But when you come to church, you got to slip into church. No expression. It's really, it's really a measure and a, and a, a level of, of oppression that Satan has fostered on the church where we come into church and I, even our natural human emotion and, and our, our human uh, 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 ability and likelihood, our human propensity for expression, emotion, and joy, all of that is squelched with religion. It, it, it puts the, the, the clamp on that and it oppresses men and, and rep it's repression. It's spiritual and emotional repression. And a lot of the church is under the bondage of that and so they're, they're just afraid that if you talk in tongues or you lay hands on the sick, things are going to get out of control really fast. I told you several years ago about the young man that Pastor Greg went to school with, and he was attending church right here in town, one of the churches, and uh, uh, he told Pastor Greg this. He said that he was leaving his church. Pastor Greg said, why? And he said, I've got to get out. I can't go to that church anymore. He said, what? What's going on? What had happened is that Sunday or a Sunday morning or, you know, right before that, a week or two before that, the pastor... In this church, they don't normally do this. The pastor just, you know, just led of God. He called someone forward. There was somebody in the church that was very ill. And uh, he called them forward and prayed for this person. Laid hands on him, something they didn't do in that church. And God healed this person. It was just in front of everybody. It was miraculous. And this young man told Pastor Greg... He said, I've got to get out. I can't go to a church like that. And Craig said, why? And he said, I just don't want to be in a church that does stuff like that. He said, but a person was sick and he got healed. And th this person, he, he admitted, he said, I know God healed that person. I know it was God. It had to be God. It did. And they prayed in the name of Jesus. It had to be God. But I can't go to a church like that. But it is sick. It's that, that shows you how religious uh, 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 prejudice is so powerful. 
And so people are afraid of the supernatural. Uh, they've, they've been made afraid of it. Religion has made people afraid. So that's why all of these gifts of the Spirit, you know, the word of knowledge. People say the word of knowledge is just having an, a, a lot of knowledge about God. Well, all of us should have knowledge of God. We're, you notice that in, uh, well, let's go ahead and read in chapter 12, verse number eight. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Notice the same Spirit gives one person the word of knowledge and someone else the word of wisdom. And then he, he says, and then someone else to another special faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing. Notice that the Spirit gives one thing to one person and another thing. If you thought that the word of knowledge is just having a, a real deep knowledge of God, then only the people in the church who had that gift could, could know God real deeply. If you didn't have that gift, you couldn't really have a deep knowledge of God. So no, uh, the word of knowledge isn't a real deep knowledge of God. All of us can have that. It's not a real deep knowledge of the scriptures. We can all learn more about the scriptures. A word of knowledge, like I said last week, is a supernatural revelation by the Spirit of God that comes to an individual of uh, facts, events, people, the condition uh, of people or, or things in that, uh, that knowledge comes to a person about uh, a situation like that apart from their own understanding. In other words, uh, and I use the illustration, you know, in, in the Old Testament when, uh, 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 well, for instance, when Jesus told the woman at the well, she said, uh, you know, he said, uh, go find your, your husband. And she said, uh, she said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're shacking up with now is not your husband. You're not even married to him. Well, that would be a word of knowledge. That's, that's a fact about a situation, a person, or event that came to Jesus. Now, he didn't know that because he was God, because he laid aside his, his divine uh, prerogatives. He knew that by the gift of the word of knowledge. So that's what the word of knowledge is. It's a revelation that comes, and it's for a purpose. It's not just knowledge for the sake of knowledge. And, uh, and then there's the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is a supernatural revelation. It's similar, but the word of wisdom has to do with the future. It has to do with God's plan and purpose, what God is going to do, what God wants to do, what he's leading somebody to do, direction. Not all direction from the Holy Spirit is the word of wisdom. But when the word of wisdom is in, is in manifestation, it's a word of, of direction from God about what to do, about what's going to happen. And... Uh, you know, when uh, uh, Peter was up on the roof and he was, on, he was up there on the roof, you know, and it was almost lunchtime and he was getting hungry and while they were making uh, the food ready, somebody knocked at the door. And it was the people from Cornelius' house who had come there to Joppa. And so they were knocking on the door and, and Peter was up on the roof and the spirit said to him, he said, three men are at the door. Well, that's a word of knowledge. He wasn't looking over and counting them. The Spirit of God told him that. It's a word of knowledge. But then he said, go with them, doubting nothing, for I've sent them. That's a word of wisdom. He was getting direction. Now, he didn't know everything about why he was going. Remember when he got to Corinth, he, the men were from Corinthians' house. The Lord said, go with them. Don't doubt. In other words, don't worry about it. Don't think about it. Just go. I've sent them. Well, when they got to Corinthians' house, remember what Peter said? He said, why have you called me here? See, the Lord didn't tell him that much. He didn't tell him why he was going to Joppa, I mean to, to, uh, to, to Caesarea. He said, go with them. The fact that it's a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge shows us that it's just a fragment, fragment of knowledge or fragment of wisdom. God doesn't tell you the whole thing. I know that this operates in, in my life and everybody else I, I've ever known that has a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. You see part of it. And you don't see the whole thing. And if it's something you're supposed to act on, you'd have to act in faith. You and I, just as, being, as human beings, if the Lord said go to, to, to uh, Tampa because you know this, there's three people at your door and they're from Tampa, I want you to go with them. Don't, don't doubt anything. We would want to know why am I going to Tampa? What's going to happen when I get to Tampa? Who am I going to meet in Tampa? Why are you wanting me to do it? That's the natural mind. But, uh, and, and you might tell your friend, I'm going to Tampa. 
Now we say, why are you going? Well, the Lord said to go. Well, why? I don't know why. That's, that's a step of faith. God never tells you everything because if he told you everything, you wouldn't need faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So he never tells you everything. And when a word of wisdom, word of knowledge comes. But the, the word or fragment of knowledge or direction that comes, it's always very precise. So those are the word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Discerning of spirits is seeing into the spirit realm. A lot of people say, well, I have the gift of discernment. No, there's no such thing as a gift of discernment. That's the gift of suspicion. People are always discerning that this person is, is weird and this person is wrong. I notice the people that have the gift of discernment, they always discern bad things about people. Oh yeah, I've got the gift of discernment and that brother, he is not right. Or that sister, she's, she's, you know, she's something wrong with her. No, it's not the discernment of people. It's not the discernment of evil. It's not the discernment of good. It's the discerning of spirits. And, and what that literally means is the seeing into the realm of the spirit. If you've ever been in a service where you've seen the glory of God, and I have before, I've seen, the, I've seen God's glory. I've seen it like a cloud it, it, and it's enveloped me before and I was in the middle of that cloud. Well, that's discerning of spirits because people around me didn't see a cloud. The glory of God was there and I saw it. That's seeing into the realm of the spirit. Uh, and so you can see into the realm of spirit, spirit in, in different ways. Uh, uh, it's also hearing in the realm of the spirit. When you hear God speak, not in, the, not in the natural, but in the spirit realm. And I've had just a few times in my life, most of the time God deals with me and leads me just like he does everybody else by the inward witness or the inward voice. The inward voice is not the voice of God. It's the inward voice of my own spirit. And uh, that's, that is common. Every believer has that. That is the primary way. I'd say for most people, 99% of the time and maybe 100% of the time, that's, that's the way God leads. But there have been occasion, a few, where God has spoken to me. And when he does, it stops you in your tracks. And you have heard God. Well, that's, that's hearing in the realm of the spirit. So that's, that's discerning of spirits a little differently. Uh, of course, we've talked about gifts of healings. The working of miracles uh, is not, uh, you know, finding a miracle uh, drug or a miracle uh, uh, invention or anything like that. The working of miracles is the setting aside when the Spirit of God is operating and he sets aside the laws of nature, supersedes the laws. Of, when Peter walked with Jesus on the water, that's the working of miracles because you can't do that. Amen. That's, that, that's, that's setting aside the laws of nature. When Jesus turned water into wine, that's not just any ordinary miracle. That's, that's, no, there was, no, I didn't say that right. That's not just any ordinary uh, thing that happens. That's a miracle. And so those are working of miracles. The gift of special faith is, uh, is kin to ordinary faith except that it's God operating faith through you, the special faith. So uh, then we know what tongues and interpretation of tongues. So those are the spiritual gifts. And then there are ministry gifts. Now, in this passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about ministry gifts beginning in verse 28. He says, now God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, or, or the better word there is the older King James, governments, and kinds of tongues or varieties of tongues. Now, a lot of people get tripped up in this verse because they see gifts of healings and tongues, and they think it's just talking about spiritual gifts. But he has changed the subject. In verse 28, he, he moves from talking about spiritual gifts earlier in the chapter to talking about ministry gifts. And so, of course, what is an apostle? Uh, an apostle is someone who is sent out by the Holy Ghost on, on a special mission to carry the gospel or to carry the truth of God uh, to a place usually that hasn't uh, had it before, but not he can repeat, he can go back to those places. But an apostle is someone who is especially sent. We're living in a time... And, and the reason this is important for you to know, we're reason it, living in a time where people are taking titles to, to absurdity. 
When we go to Africa, the reason I go to Africa, I don't go to Africa because I enjoy it. Tell you that. I'd rather stay here. Uh, it's not pleasant where we go. But the reason I go in Africa, they, uh, the, the church there, they've got so much false doctrine and so, so much flaky doctrine. The, the pastors and the church leaders all and through the, all the nations of Africa that I've ever been to, they watch Christian television here in the United States. And that's where they get their theology from. Uh, most of them are not very well-versed in the scriptures. And they watch Christian television. And I haven't watched, the only Christian television I watch is Sunday morning. My wife and I, when we're getting ready for church, we watch one or two shows and we just listen. We listen to them while we're getting dressed. That's the only Christian television I've watched. But now years ago, I, I watched, I listened to more. This was back in the days of, of you know, the Christian variety, not variety shows, but the, the Christian interview. I don't know what you call it, TBN, okay? And some programs like that, and they'd have speakers on, and they'd preach and ra usually raise money and preach and raise money and raise money and raise money and preach a little bit and raise money and raise money and raise money and preach a little bit and raise money and raise money and raise money and raise, you know. Uh, but there's so much squirrely doctrine. And in Africa, these ministers, have, they, they, they think that's what Christianity is, is what they see on Christian television. So they've tried to replicate every, all, the most extreme stuff we have in America is common. It's every day in ministry in Africa. You know, I remember when T.D. Jakes, you know, when he, when he started, you know, he sweats a lot when he preaches. And so he had, he had, I don't know if he still does this, but he used to have a guy that would follow him around on the, on the platform while he preached and had a towel. And this guy would have a towel and every now and then he'd come up to, to T.D. and, you know, and, and, and dry him off while he was preaching. It wasn't long, I don't know if he still does that or not. It wasn't long after that, every preacher in Africa had a guy behind him with a towel. Whether they were sweating or not, it was their, their, their towel guy. You know, it's just like whatever they see, they have to do. And when it comes to titles in Africa, there are, there are, there are almost more apostles than there are people. Everybody's an apostle. Every church I preach in, because when, when we go over there, I, I do a pastor's conference during the day. But then on Sunday, I'm usually in a, we fan out. Pastor Greg goes to a church. I go to a church. Pastor, uh, Brother Christopher, they call him pastor. And uh, he goes to a church. And we all minister in different churches and, uh, in the, you know, throughout the city. And every church I've ever ministered in in Africa is run by an apostle, allegedly. In other words, if you're the head pastor, if you're the senior pastor, that's not good enough. You have to be an apostle. And then their staff guys, they're called pastors. But the head honcho, he's got to be an apostle. There, I'm like I said, there are apostles everywhere. Well, everybody's called an apostle, and they're not apostles. An apostle is someone who, has, who is especially sent out. Some, not all, some missionaries are, are apostles. The apostles' ministry is best uh, is most frequently found among missionaries. Missionaries are, have, are those who have been sent out to go very often to foreign countries to take the message of the gospel or the truth of, of some part of the gospel to, to the foreign land. But that's not all of it because a lot of missionaries go out and they're not apostles, they're just preachers. Apostle, apostle is someone in the New Testament who had a very deep personal experience with God. You take the apostle Paul. He, Jesus appeared to him. He said, the gospel that I preach, I didn't get it from anybody else. I got it from revelation. By revelation, Jesus taught me what I know. Apostles are, are, are men or women uh, who have a very deep personal uh, experience, an exceptional spiritual experience with God. Their apostles are people who, uh, one of the most uh, outstanding characteristics of an apostle is without even trying, they have an, a, a supernatural ability to raise up churches. I mean, it's just, like, it's just like a gift that's given to them. Everywhere they go and they preach, they don't just preach and bring the truth. Churches come up out of that. Christopher Allen, he, he will not say he's an apostle. In fact, he says he's not an apostle. I disagree. He has the, Paul talked about the, the, the signs of an apostle. 
in signs and wonders and miracles. So he's got that miracle ministry. But uh, uh, Christopher has a very deep relationship or experience with God. He never talks about it, but Jesus has appeared to, to Brother Christopher on numerous occasions, appeared to him and talked to him. He never talks about that in church. Or any, I've never heard him talk about it, except, you know, we asked him and it kind of came out that way. And, uh, uh, but also, everywhere he goes in Africa, churches spring up. He has hundreds of churches all over, not just Africa, but Indonesia and uh, 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 not Asia, is, what would you call India and in uh, Burma, in that area, Southeast Asia, uh, churches. And he's got entire denominations that have come up under him, that he's over. And he, he doesn't even try, it just happens. Some of these churches are so large, they're thousands and thousands of people, and they have spawned churches. Well, I don't have the ability to do that. That's, that's something that goes with the apostles' ministry. But in Africa, everybody's an apostle. They say, but they're not. In fact, it's gotten so bad, there are so many apostles that the word apostle is not big enough anymore. It's, it's not meaning, it's not, doesn't even mean anything anymore. So now they have super apostles. I'm not making this up. They have mega apostles. They have super apostles. They have cheap, chief apostles. So it's not enough to be an apostle. You know, if you really want to have clout, you've got to be a mega apostle. And now the same thing is happening with prophets. It's not enough to be a prophet. Now you have to be an apostle prophet. It's one reason I go over there. Christopher says, you got to teach on this stuff. He said, you got to help these guys. And you have to be careful because I'm preaching in their churches, you know. But I, I, can, I do it in the, in the minister's conference because I'm not under any pastor when I'm there. I'm under, I'm under, I'm under Brother Christopher. And, uh, but no, there are New Testament apostles today. The apostle ministry didn't pass away, you know, with, with the apostles. In fact, I counted up one time, there's 20, I think, if I remember right, I counted up 27 different people in the New Testament that were identified as an apostle. 27 different people. So we talk about the 12 apostles. When the 12 apostles passed away, what about all the others? Barnabas was called an apostle. Silas was called an apostle. Timothy was called an apostle. And there's a whole list. Like I said, there's 27. Now, there are different categories of apostles. There are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You remember when Jesus was... was uh, uh, raised from the dead, uh, the, the 11 apostles, because of Judas, you know, he had, he had uh, uh, betrayed the Lord and then and, and committed suicide. Well, they got together and they, they found someone else to take his place. But notice the qualification when they chose Matthias. It had to be someone who had been with them from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Someone that had, been, had taken part with them and had seen Jesus' ministry from the very beginning because the 12 apostles of the Lamb are a unique, and you find it in the book of Revelation, it talks about the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Those apostles, that, that list is not enlarging. There were 12 men, they were the 12 apostles of the Lamb, and their unique uh, requirement, the requirement to be in that class is that you had to personally Walk and talk with Jesus. But then over in, in Ephesians, it talks about the church being built on the foundations of the, the, the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself, it's in the second chapter of, Philippians, or, or of Ephesians. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You remember it said that? There's another classification of apostles, which they're called foundational apostles. The foundational apostles included some of these 12 apostles of the lands, but it included some others. The apostle Paul was a foundational apostle. The, the, uh, apostle the, the foundational apostles and prophets were those who actually their writings and their words became the foundation for New Testament doctrine. They were the writers of the New Testament. 
There will never be any more foundational apostles because the foundation has been laid. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and the foundation for Christianity and the doctrine of the New Testament, it has already been written. No one's written, you notice there's not been any more scripture since then. It's because the foundation has been laid. So there were foundational apostles, but then there was this third level of apostles like Barnabas and Silas and some of those. Barnabas wrote an epistle you can go online, you can find his epistle, the epistle of Barnabas, but it was not accepted into the canon of the New Testament because the, the early church realized that it didn't have the seal of divine uh, authorization. It wasn't inspired like the others. It was just the writings of a man, just like Kenneth Hagin or me or anybody else might write something, you know. Well, that, it, it's not scripture. It doesn't have that weight, and I don't care how biblical it is, it's not scripture. Well, uh, a Barnabas and some of the others, they wrote documents, they wrote letters, they wrote epistles, but they were not foundational apostles or prophets. And so their words didn't become the foundation of the church. So in the sense of this third degree of apostles and prophets, it exists today. But again, the other uh, uh, qualifications still apply. It, for an apostle, it has to be someone who has a deep uh, spiritual experience with God has uh, certain signs and wonders operating in their lives uh, the ability to go to foreign lands and, and establish the, the church and establish Christianity uh, in a way that other people are just not gifted to do prophets of course a prophet is uh, someone now I had a remember brother Wally Redwine some of you have been around here a long time we, we called him Wally, Wally uh, Newhart because God gave him a new heart, you know. And uh, he came to us and he was retired. He was in his 60s at the time and he was an, uh, uh, an air conditioning man. He, he had a master license in air conditioning in Miami. He lived in Miami or Fort Lauderdale. And he did air conditioning on skyscrapers. You know, the big air conditioners that are up on the, on the roof of these buildings that you go into the air conditioner. You know, it's not just a box. Big, massive machines. Those are the kinds of air conditioners he put in. And his job was very high stress and he uh, had a heart attack. And he was one of the earliest uh, bypass uh, patients. In other words, bypass, his bypass surgery was one of the earliest ones that had ever been done. It was still fairly experimental. And so he had by, bypass surgery. They did all these bypasses. And they told him, uh, this will only work for so long. You have to retire Get out of your high-stress job, move to somebody, move to someplace quiet where you won't ever get upset again. He moved to High Springs. And he showed up in our church. His son was, had found our church. Uh, Mark had found our church. And so he invited his father, and he came. And, and right after he started coming to our church, he was just, I mean, just a baby Christian. He just got filled with the Holy Spirit. He went to a Kenneth Copeland meeting in Texas. And so he came back from the Kenneth Copeland meeting and he came up to me the next Sunday. He was out of Sunday and then the next Sunday he came back and, hey, Wally, it's good to see you. And he said, oh, yeah, he said, I had a great time. He said, I found out I'm a prophet. I said, is that right? I said, how about that, you know? He said, yep. And uh, I said, uh, where are you preaching? Where, you know, where are you going to be preaching? Do you have, you know, what's your schedule? You got churches lined up? And he said, Oh, no, I don't preach. I'm not a preacher. Somebody on an elevator, he was coming, going up or coming down at the, at the hotel where this convention was, and somebody got on the elevator and prophesied to him and told him he was a prophet. And so he came home, and all excited that he was a prophet. And I said, well, first of all, I said, a prophet, just like an apostle or an evangelist or a pastor, a teacher, a, pro a prophet is first and foremost a minister. These are... Uh, these five offices are full-time ministry offices. So there are no lay people in, in that, that stand in the office of apostle or evangelist or pastor or teacher. Those, those are full-time ministry offices. And so a prophet, just like an apostle, is first and foremost a preacher or a teacher. You can either preach the gospel or you can teach the gospel. That's the two ways the gospel is, is, is uh, declared, teaching and preaching. And... Uh, and so if you're, a, if you're a prophet, you would first of all be a preacher and teacher. Brother Hagin used to say, he said, what, what a lot of people misunderstand about the office of the prophet is they think a prophet prophesies all the time. 
They think that's his prime. The primary function of a prophet is to prophesy. He said, that's a little small sliver of the prophet's office. He said, first of all, a prophet is a preacher or a teacher. In Brother Haken's case, he was a teacher. He was a prophet and a teacher. The prophet's ministry is a higher anointing than the teaching ministry. And, uh, but he had both of them. But on a daily basis, or you could say a weekly basis or a by-service basis, you know, when he preached, he spent 99% of his time functioning in that teaching office. Even though the prophet's office is a higher anointing, it only functions as the spirit manifests. Teaching functions as the spirit manifests, but by the nature of teaching, it manifests every time you get up in the pulpit to preach because that's your job, to preach or to teach. So he was a teacher, but he was also a prophet. He said, the prophet's ministry functions all the time, but people don't see it. If you ever been, if you ever listened to Kenneth Hagin's uh, recordings, you'll, you'll, you'll notice there's something different about uh, what you get out of them. This old, tall, you know, Texan with that southern drawl, you know, didn't have a lot of education. I mean, he touched the whole world. The reason he did was because he had a teaching gift, but he, he told us, he said, I teach as a teacher, but when I teach, I do it with the prophet's anointing. He said, it's actually the prophet's anointing working while I'm teaching, and that's why every time you listen to him, you got something new out of it. You listen to stories he's told. I've listened to some of his stories over a hundred times, I'm sure. And every time, it's like there's fresh truth, fresh revelation coming from that. Well, that's not ordinary. Most teachers don't have that. And so uh, he would prophesy, of course, and he would prophesy as a prophet, not just as an, an ordinary layperson, but the way he described it, he said that uh, to stand in the office of prophet, you had to first of all be a preacher or a teacher. Some, some prophets are not teachers. They're just really excited preachers. You know the difference in preaching and teaching? Preaching is, preaching is teaching is informational. Preaching is, is inspirational. Inspirational as opposed to informational. Teaching is uh, informs, preaching excites. Preaching stirs people up. Preaching by its, now, now I love, pre I'm not a preacher. Have you ever noticed that? It was in a great, great while, a little bit of preaching will come on me, but I'm not a preacher, but I love it. I love it when it happens, and I love to hear great, I have a real respect for, for good preaching. There's a lot of stuff that goes on under the name of preaching that's, that's flesh. But when it's really anointed by the Holy Ghost, I love good preaching. But preaching by its nature can be real, uh, you know, excited and real bombastic and, you know, just almost over the top, almost, you know, sensational. Because it, it goes with that inspirational flow. And there are, there are people who are preachers and who are also prophets. There was a man back during the healing revival from 1947 to 1958 by the name of William Branham. And he stood at the forefront of the prophet's ministry in, at least in America during that time. He was the most famous, well-known prophet. He would get up in services, where he, and now prophets also have healing ministries. And Brother Hagin pointed out that all the prophets of the Old Testament had healing ministries. So anyway, William Branham was, was in the healing revival. Tremendous miracles. He would walk out on the stage and he would preach. But his preaching almost didn't make sense. I mean, it was just real. Uh, uh, Wigglesworth was the same way. When Wigglesworth would start preaching, he was not a teacher. He was a preacher. When Wigglesworth would first start preaching, it almost didn't make any sense at all until the Holy Ghost kind of kicked in. Sometimes you start, you know, have to start out in the natural, trust God, you know, then the anointing comes. And then, and then it would start making sense. Branham almost didn't make sense anytime. He just, and uh, he would preach for a little while and then he would minister through the word of knowledge. He would stand on the platform, people would come up, you know, for healing 
And when they would stand in front of him, he would, he would tell them their driver's license number. Or he would tell them, he said, I've got these four digits, 3118. They said, that's the, that's the house address of my house. He didn't know any of these people. Thousands of people in these crusades would come up. And, 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 or he would say, uh, they'd stand in front of him and he'd say, what is this about a, about a $500? I keep something about $500. And that person owed somebody $500 and wouldn't pay it. That person kind of stemmed and stuttered around. He said, there's something about $500. If you don't get that straight, you're not going to get healed. Well, you know, you don't go up and stand in front of prophets like that unless you get cleaned up, you know. Because he, he didn't know. He didn't know that person from, from the next person. But he had the word of knowledge operating with such accuracy, he could just tell people phenomenal things. Now, Brother Hagin didn't have it to that degree. Brother Hagin usually had words of knowledge concerning healing, but he didn't read people's mail like that. He did occasionally, but not where this man just did it consistently. But in, the interesting thing about Branham was, though, in, later in life, he was so determined to be a teacher. There were men like Kenneth Hagin who had these teaching ministries that were really beginning to get a following, and he wanted to be a teacher so bad he couldn't teach. Dear Lord, it was confusing. And he would try to teach, and, and uh, uh, Gordon Lindsay took him aside and said, Brother Branham, Please do not try to teach. You're not a teacher. You can't teach. You confuse the church. There's, he was causing all kinds of problems. He was teaching doctrine that wasn't even scriptural, you know. And, and he said, I don't care whether, I, whether I'm anointed or not. I like to teach. I'm going to be a teacher. He died young because of that. He died early in life, way before he was in his 40s, I think, whenever he was killed uh, in an automobile accident. And the Lord spoke to Brother Hagin about it. And said months before it happened, and said that he that stands at the forefront of the prophet's ministry before 1968 is out, he said he will make a false step, Satan will take his life, but his, his spirit will be saved and his works will follow him. And sure enough, it happened like December the 30th of 1968. He was killed in a traffic accident. It's because he wouldn't, he wouldn't straighten up. So anyway... Uh, there, there are apostles, there are prophets. A prophet is, is a teacher and a preacher. But a, a prophet also has these revelation gifts, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, at least two of those three, plus the simple gift of, or, the, or the gift of prophecy. And uh, now when it says, when I say he has them, it doesn't mean he has them in his pocket. And he can pull them out and operate them anytime he wanted to. A lot of these prophets get into that. They, they build, their, their, God is working and they're having these words of knowledge and, and revelations and people are flocking to their meetings and it's, you know, when you're reading people's mail and telling them their address and, and their dog's name and, you know, all this kind of stuff, that creates excitement. People come out to that. But then they, they build, their ministry grows to the place that they've got to keep this up and so they start trying to operate these gifts when it's not there. If you walk out there on the, on the stage and people, you got 10,000 people and they're expecting you operating the word of knowledge and the word of knowledge is not there, now what are you going to do? You start making up stuff. And you start trying to operate those gifts and then evil spirits come in. I'm telling you, that's what's happened to a lot of these guys. Now, now supernatural things are happening, but it's not God. Now the devil has gotten in and they're bringing information. And uh, some people who at one time were prophets... Uh, began to operate in occult power because they, tr they had to perform. They decided, you know, that this is my ministry and people are paying to come, you know, and they're giving all these big offerings and I have to perform. It's one thing I so appreciate about, about Kenneth Hagin. He never performed. He said, if the anointing's not there, I'm just going to teach to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. He said, I can always teach the Bible because that anointing's there all the time. And he said, and I've been with him in, in meetings where people came by the thousands and, and they wanted to get under that prophetic ministry, you know, where he'd start calling people out and minister by the word of knowledge and get revelations and service after service. I mean, a week-long meeting, he'd go several nights, nothing like that happening because he, he just, he knew if the Holy Spirit's not in manifestation, don't try to put something on. And I, and I learned that from him. It's very important. And uh, sometimes you do have to step out in faith. Uh, Oral uh, Richard Roberts was, was with us two weeks ago in California. 
And uh, when he was fairly young in ministry, after he got back in a fellowship with the Lord, he, you know, he was backslidden for a few years and, and um, sang with a rock band and hated his father and hated the healing ministry, didn't want anything. He was embarrassed to be Oral Roberts' son and, and he just you know, was, ran with that you know, rock and roll crowd. And you know, he got back in a fellowship with the Lord started helping his dad in these meetings, started going to the meetings with him, helping him, you know, on the road. And, and then someone ministered to him, and, and, and he already had this sense in his heart, but somebody confirmed it and said, you're going to operate in the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is going to be uh, a, 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 uh, something that rec- you're recognized for. Now, he's an evangelist. He's not a prophet. But he, if you've ever been in his meetings, he ministers by the word of knowledge. He doesn't lay hands on the sick. And he never lays hands on the sick. He calls out people with illnesses and said, now there's somebody God's healing you right now. And people just start getting healed of that all over the church. But he said that uh, a particular evangelist called him out in a meeting and said, you're going to be operating in the word of knowledge. And he already had the sense of that. You know, just because somebody tells you something by the Spirit, don't take it unless you already have that in your heart yourself. These things can help confirm something you have, but you should never act on a word from somebody just because they said it. You need to have it in your own heart to begin with. But anyway, not too long after that happened, he said, he told us a couple weeks ago, he was sitting in one of Brother Egan's meetings, I think it was a camp meeting or something, and he was just sitting there on the front row, minding his own business, and and, uh, Kenneth Hagin said, He was ministering, he said, and now, he said, Richard Roberts, he heard his name, he said, and now Richard Roberts is going to come up and minister by the word of knowledge. He turned to Lindsay and he said, Richard Roberts don't have no word of knowledge. (laughs) He said, so he got up, and as soon as he got up there, he said it started working. So you do have to step out in faith, but again, it's not something you carry around that you can just operate. So there are ministry gifts, uh, apostles, prophets, Evangelist and evangelist is not uh, is different. The evangelist's primary ministry of an evangelist is to the lost. His ministry is Christ and is reaching the lost. Evangelists very often have healing ministries, and uh, uh, and evangelists and prophets. It seems that some of these gifts go together a lot. Sometimes evangelists easily step over temporarily into a prophetic. Uh, anointing and minister sort of like an, a prophet at times. And it's because they minister more uh, uh, inspirationally. Evangelists are preachers. A lot of times they're really fiery, really flashy. I mean, almost, almost absurdly flashy that you almost look at it and say, is this, you know, is this really real? I mean, this is kind of corny what he's doing. But they reach people. And, and, and an evangelist, uh, like I said, he has miracles and gifts of healing. So in 1 Corinthians 12, we read in verse 28, 29, it says, God has set these in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healings, that's referring to the evangelist office. And we know that's so because these five ministry gifts, he's naming the ministry gifts and he only named three of them. The other two he didn't name, he gave a description of them in descriptive terms, described their ministry, didn't name them. The evangelist he, he described as the gifts of healings and, and working of miracles. Well, everybody doesn't have that, okay? Any of the gifts of the Spirit can manifest through anybody at any time as the Spirit wills, but an evangelist is just gonna have a, 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 a more uh, consistent ministry of this. The teacher is someone that is anointed by the Spirit of God. He gets revelation from the Word of God and is able to minister uh, the deeper truths of the, of the things of God and the, and, and the Word of God. And there's a special anointing upon him to, uh, to understand the Scriptures and put them in a way that people, under, uh, that people can receive revelation themselves. And then, of course, the pastor is a shepherd. And uh, some, some teachers are standalone teachers. That's all they are. They might be a teacher, and they might be a teacher and an evangelist. They might be a teacher and a prophet like Kenneth Hagin was. But that teaching gift uh, stands alone, and then they might also have this other gift. But over in Ephesians, go with me, and we'll close with this. Go, go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Why is this important? 
Well, you'll receive more from the ministry if you understand them. Amen. Ephesians 4.11, And God himself, or, or Christ himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, pastors and teachers are two separate offices uh, on, on the one hand, but then Greek scholars tell, tell me, from what I've read, that the way the Greek is constructed in this verse, pastor and teacher are not two separate offices. It's, it's a hyphenated. In the Greek, it's, the two words are hyphenated, if, if you know what I mean by that. In other words, pastor-teacher. There's for, there are apostles. He's, he's given some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor-teachers. Most pastors, if they will uh, look to the Lord and, and look to their heart, most pastors will realize that they also have a teaching gift if they'll just develop it. Some preachers are too busy playing golf to develop anything. But if they're willing to develop it, most pastors will realize that they have a genuine teaching gift because Paul told Timothy to exhort the pastors in his charge to, that they teach. Talked, he talked about doctrine and teaching over and over and over when he was giving instructions to Timothy. And so uh, sometimes uh, teachers, teachers, there's the teaching gift exists without the pastoral gift, but most of the time the pastoral gift has a teaching component as well. Uh, occasionally you'll find pastors who aren't teachers, but I think most of the time when that happens is that person's not really a pastor. That person is maybe serving as a pastor because a lot of times God will start you out somewhere and that's not really your, your ultimate calling. He's just allowing you. Brother Hagen pastored for 12 years and he wasn't a pastor. He got dissatisfied in ministry and the Lord said, the reason you're so dissatisfied in ministry is I never called you to pastor to begin with and yet the Lord was in him going to those churches. He sent him there because it was a time of training for him before he could move him into the prophet's ministry. But I, we, I had a pastor, Angel and I had a pastor, and I'll let you go in just a minute, back in the, in the 1970s in Jacksonville. And uh, let me get back to Wally Redwine. Wally Redwine, when I told him, you're not a prophet, brother. You, if you're not a preacher, you're not a prophet. You know, just like that, he said, oh, okay, Whew, I'm glad. <laughs> Wally became, I didn't want you to leave and get you, you newer people that didn't know him. I didn't want you to think he was a flake. He, he went on to become one of the most stalwart men in my church. Tremendous blessing to everybody that knew him. Solid, I mean solid man of faith too. A man of faith and, and loved him. He was a wonderful man. But he just took correction. Like he didn't get mad about it. Well, I am so a prophet. You, you, you're just trying to persecute me, pastor, and persecute my gift. No, he just said, well, okay. That's what the Bible says, and he just took that correction, and, and so he was a wonderful man. Uh, lived here and, and lived in our church for many, many years after that. But anyway, uh, in Jacksonville, my wife and I, we had a pastor that wasn't a pastor. He was a prophet, and yet he was pastoring this church. And he'd get over in the spirit, you know, and start calling people out. I mean, he would just phenomenal words of knowledge would come about different situations, healings, just tremendous healings. And he would get up and try to teach. Oh, my Lord. It was hard. It was just hard. It was hard to sit through a service. I distinctly remember one night, one service, he, he was struggling. He was trying to teach us because this was in the day when Kenneth Copeland was, you know, the biggest boy in town, you know, in the ministry. And everybody, you know, three-hour sermons. You know, everybody wanted to be a Kenneth Copeland. And, and I remember Brother, Brother House, he was struggling through this teaching and he was up behind and he had his glass, glasses down on his nose, you know, and he was trying to teach. And it was just, it was awful, you know. Because you, you love the word and so you're hungry for the word, but dear Lord. Finally, in just frustration, he said, he said, that's it. He just closed his Bible and his notebook and he said, that's it. I'm never doing that again. That's done. Okay. Are we having a meltdown here? What's going on with the He said, I can't teach. <laughs> he said, I can't teach. I try to teach and I can't do it. He said, I'm done with that. We're all like, yes. Yeah, but but he, he really... 
never got into the ministry that God had for him. I'm convinced he was a prophet and that he should have stepped out of that pastoral ministry into a prophetic ministry, but uh, he went home to be with the Lord early and that didn't happen. But anyway, praise the Lord. It's 849, it's time to go. Glory to God. God bless you. We'll see you. <laughs> At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.